Oh, no, I don't remember. Oh, I do. I do. Never mind. Justin, A through Z. H. What in the hell are movie studios doing? They are not announced Moana Part 2, November of this year. Actually, from what I've heard, uh, The Rock and, uh, what was her name, uh, Alili? Ali'i? 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, neither one of them have officially signed on yet. Really? Wow. Interesting. How the fuck is that movie coming out this year? Yeah, I feel like that is going to have to change. I don't know. Unless this is a part two, like how the Little Mermaid had a part two. So originally this was supposed to be like a three-part TV series thing. And they decided to just make Mm. it a movie. So I'm actually wondering if that's what they've done. Like Lin-Manuel's not coming back for the songs. They got someone else to do it. And uh, I'm wondering if that's what it is, Justin. They were just like, hey, we're going to. And then they were just like, fuck it. We're going to release it. Man. I hate when I'm joking. I might be right. But if it's a part two like that, prepare for train wreck. So, so you're saying pretty much every Disney sequel that happened in the 1990s? <laughs> Basically. Yep. Prepare for all of them. What was it? Simba's Pride. Oh, um, Aladdin 2 went to theaters, <laughs> but Aladdin 3 did not. Mm. That's right. And then some Aladdin t- Return of Jafar. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because that one did not have Robin Williams, but Prince mm-hmm. of Thieves did mm-hmm. and was still re- straight to video. Uh-huh. And then there was also Little Mermaid 2, like you said, Justin. There was there was a Hunchback of Notre Dame sequel. Yep. Which is weird if you think about the book because, you know. Esmeralda and Quasimodo die at the end of that book. Spoilers for an old ass fucking book, everybody. Quasimodo and Esmeralda are both dead. Because Esmeralda dies and Quasimodo just goes and lays next to her corpse until he dies. Because he loves her. And nothing's more romantic than cuddling a corpse. (laughs) That's pretty tragic. Fucking weird. Sweet gesture, though, I guess. For who? <laughs> she fucking dead, Justin. He loved her, though. Okay, she did. He just has a different way of showing his affection. It's just that quasi-love. You know I don't I mean? know. That's it's not on this level. It's not on that quasi-love level. That's <laughs> dangerously close, close to corpse fucking level. Would that be okay, Justin, just because he loved her? Well, we, you didn't say he sexed the corpse till he died. He just he just kind of <laughs> laid there. I don't know what the fuck he you did. Mm. 
He could have. We don't know. You I weren't there, Justin. I don't want to think of my quasi like that. Man, fuck quasi. What the why the fuck you got loyalty to Quasi all of a sudden? <laughs> what the fuck has Quasi done for you lately? Why you hate on Quasi? What's what, with the Quasi what, hate? Why are you loving on Quasi <laughs> all of a sudden? Hate on Quas? You have not mentioned Quasi once in your life until now, and all of a sudden you're you're Quasimodo's best friend. Well, I haven't seen him in a while, but man, I didn't. It just felt wrong you saying that about him. Man, fuck that guy. Uh, I mean, I know it's par for the course for you to hate on stuff, but Man, he, he defiled Quas? the corpse. Defiled, Justin. You said he just laid there. Like I Sad. said, we don't know, and I still kind of think that that's slight defiling. He just laid there and did a C and D. He cried and died. That's he's it. like, he's like, hey, baby, you be the small spoon. <laughs> it's just a C and D. It don't matter if you're Come dead. On, we can be small spoon. Come on. No. Where do you stand on Quasi, Heather? I honestly never saw Hunchback Notre Dame. Did you read the book? Oh, no. Never read the book either. Sounds tragic, though. (laughs) Sounds gross. Yeah. Sounds gross. Yeah, I somehow just missed out on that Disney movie. You didn't miss Orthodox, but, but... uh, the, the first, the first one's pretty good though. Justin, you watched that what? Probably once or twice in your life. Twice. Yeah, you didn't even think about it once. Like you haven't thought about that in at least fifteen years. You forgot that was a Disney movie till I brought it up. You left Quasi at the Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much you thought about Probably it. Probably the only thing you've done more recent. Then watch Quasimodo, and it's just barely is eating Burger King. Just barely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I drove by there the other day. <laughs> just not checking on it. That many, just not seeing that many cars. I think it was due to weather. Mm. <laughs> what, what weather, Justin? Was there inclement weather in Midland? No, but... All right. I just think it's not that time of year yet for people. So you know that was always the thing I loved about burger places. They're just you know, they're not seasonal. Well, maybe with Burger King, you know, it's just a little different. It works a little different, you know, just like Quasimodo. How he was a little different. BK eaters are can be, they can be strange. Yeah, because there's only four of them <laughs> in the whole world. <laughs> there's only four. And you're not even one of them. When Heather was a young lass, she liked it. Okay, Justin, when you were a young so lad, so you five. liked it. So but five. okay, people grow up and they change. So Nobody five. likes it anymore. Okay. It still counts, man. That no, love was real. Okay. Time. It was. It was. It's not real anymore. It was real. It is not real. But it was. We're not going to do this. I'm not. You're not going to. You're not going to hate on BK. You're not going to hate on Quasi. We're just not going to do this today. Quasimodo. Oh. oh, man. Fuck anything that's got Notre Dame in the title or Notre Dame. 
in the, in its case because technically it's the French, so it's Notre Dame. But you know, it's spelled the same as Notre Dame, and fuck all that too. I have always said Notre Dame. Are you a Notre or no? That's a so Notre. the 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 movie is Notre Dame. Yeah, that's why I say I think that's why I the say school it that way, is Notre Dame. Out. Is okay, yes. that's why I said it the wrong. School I seen the school is Notre Dame. Man, I always called the school Notre Dame. No. I always did. Man, that shit's in Indiana. Notre Dame. They, they, they're not any fucking f- fancy French spellings in Indiana. But but I would always call it, oh, look, Notre Dame is playing. I like Notre Dame. I just like how that sounds. Notre Dame. Do you say it like that? That just sounds, that sounds, sounds like, you know, someone on the street. I just, yeah, which is what Notre Dame is, Justin. (laughs) They're a garbage school for garbage people. (laughs) But I like Notre Dame. It sounds so much more important. That's a cathedral in France. Notre Dame is a shithole. It's not even the first time I've said this shit on this podcast. I don't remember that well. Anyway, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, 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 we did. Because uh, um, um, when we did the live episode, we was, people brought up Rudy. And I was like, fuck Notre Dame. And fuck Rudy. Oh, yeah, you did say that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not saying the pronunciation part. I'm just saying that Notre Dame is garbage. That's not the first time I've said that on this podcast is what I was implying. Okay. Well, I, I do remember you saying you didn't like Rudy. I just didn't, yeah. I just don't think we talked about the pronunciation, but yes, no, yeah, we remember, did not. That I do is remember. Yes. I do remember the Rudy hate. Yeah. Um, in other news, somewhat similar to this uh, with what the fucker movie studio is doing. Warner Brothers is thinking about deleting in its entirety the movie Wiley or the Coyote versus Acme or whatever the fuck that movie's called. Which is a John Cena movie about Wiley Coyote, kind of in the vein of like a Space Jam or uh, Back in Action or a Roger Rabbit, where it's live action people and animated people, same movie. Uh, about Wiley Coyote suing the Acme Corporation. For sending him a bunch of defective equipment. That sounds hilarious. Yeah. And to from, me, because and, and I'm a Wiley Coyote Looney Tunes fan, so I totally get that. I could see him doing that. That sounds like an incredibly smart movie to make. Yeah. And uh, they're probably going to delete it. Because they wanted to cancel it, and then people got outraged they wanted to cancel it, so they were like, okay. We'll, we'll sell it to someone else then. And apparently they set the price tag for it for $75 million because they spent 40 on it. And if they were to delete it, they would make 35 million in tax breaks for it, which is still not technically 75 million because you don't actually equate those together when you're doing it. It costs you 45, you would make 30, or it costs you 40, you would make 35. Therefore, you would still lose $5 million for deleting it. And so apparently a lot of the studios all made bids going, hey, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take it for this. And Warner Brothers turned them all down because it wasn't 75 million to begin with. 
and they did not allow counter offers whatsoever. And so now they're like, whoop, nobody bought it, so we're going to delete it. It's garbage. It's bullshit. Yeah, that's weird. Wow. Well, I'm sad. And it has like a movie I would totally see. And you know who wants to cancel it? David Zaslov, CEO of Warner Discovery. You want to know what else is kind of crazy about his decision to want to do it? Never watch the movie. What? Wow. And then on top of that, he's like, I don't understand why everybody's so mad about it. Nobody even knew this movie. Like, nobody was clamoring for this movie beforehand, before we announced we were going to cancel it. So why does anybody care? So he's like, oh, nobody was clamoring for a movie we had not, like, promoted yet. So why do they care now? You know, because that's a normal thing. Wow. Yeah. Okay, then. You know, David Zaslav, famous man of the people. So, uh, in other news, um, you know, Taylor Swift won the Super Bowl. Yes. Very true. So, if you believe the news, the CIA did that so Biden would win the presidency. Yeah, it all adds up. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) You know, so that's a thing. Yeah. I'm excited for her. Hey, you know, her, not yeah. a lot of, you know, not a lot of people win the Super Bowl their first year in, so. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. hmm And it was a pretty exciting Super Bowl. Like, it started, it's crazy because it started it really like. In the fourth quarter. Like, it started so just like, we were, we were like, man, is anybody going to score any points? And then that second half was like. Then it was just like crazy drama. That last quarter and a half was crazy. Just how yeah, everything just sort of shot up like the stakes. It was intense. There was just plays being made here and there. Last minute draws, big mistakes that were super costly. Like just everything you want in a big game right there at the end. And then we went to overtime. So it was, it was pretty awesome. It wound up being an awesome game. Yeah, and that was the first playoff game with uh, the new rules, the new overtime rules. That was the first time we ever got to see it. What were the new rules? Uh, that both people get the ball. Mm, okay. If Even if a touchdown scored. So it used to be sudden death. And then they were like, okay, that's, that's a little unfair. So if the team that gets a ball first... Uh, gets a touchdown, then it will just end. But if it's a field goal, the other team gets the ball. And then they're like, okay, that's unfair. At least in the playoffs, that's unfair. So now they made it to where even if a touchdown scored, both teams get the ball. So, yeah, I mean, that was a a new thing. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, outside of that, though, I mean, you know, it was fine. I mean, halftime show was fine. I know a lot of people loved it. I mean, to me, it was just fine because to me, it was just, you know, it was a halftime show. Like, I wasn't crazy amped about it, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, it's good. It's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's never anything that I'm like, oh, man, I'm looking so forward to this. But, you know, it was enjoyable. It's mm-hmm. about the same as watching a special concert on. Like, I, I used to watch when they would broadcast concerts or special concerts or like when HBO would have, you know, Janet Jackson or something like that. You know, you you watch those and sometimes those can be fun, you know, um, to watch a concert on TV and stuff like that or just a a filmed concert. Those can be fun. It it just kind of feels like that, you know. You're just watching somebody you know. If you're familiar with the songs, you sing them and, you know, you just cool lighting effects and sometimes there are surprise guests. That can kind of be fun. You know, it's just it's just a, a performance. It, you know, it's just a music performance, really. So nothing to be upset about it. It's yeah. weird when people take these super emotional takes on it. Like, oh, that was just the worst one ever, or this is the best one ever. Let's put it up against these. And it does, how does it rank against the one that these people did? And that's weird to me. It's like, it's just a music performance. Well, especially for me, like, you know, like this was exactly what you would think an Usher halftime performance would be. You know, the Rihanna one was exactly what you thought a Rihanna one would be. You know, I think it's, and I think it's weird when people get surprised by some of that stuff. Like when they're like, oh, the Usher one, he took off his shirt. Yeah. I'm surprised he waited that long. Actually, same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's like, you know, when people were mad, when Prince, you know, air fucked the, you know, the stage with his guitar. Yeah, it's Prince. What do, that's what that man does. He makes his guitar, his penis, and he makes love to all our ear holes. That's what he does. I don't know why you people are surprised by it. Like, I mean, Usher, if he didn't take off his shirt, it'd be the equivalent of, you know, J-Lo and Shakira not shaking their asses. True. Like, why, what do you want? And if you know, if you're, you're going right. into it and you're like, I don't want to watch Usher take off his shirt because he's going to, because it's exactly what you expected to be. Don't watch the halftime show then. Exactly. Why are you watching the halftime show? Going, ugh, I hate Usher and I'm going to hate everything about this. Let me watch every second of it. Why? Just so you can have a hot take on Facebook? I just, I don't don't understand. Because it's not like, you know, I know there are people out there that hate the Kansas Kansas City Chiefs. You're watching it because there's a chance they might lose. So I get that. But you also have to have that 50-50 type of thing of, 
there's a chance they might win. So you that is that has to be a part of your reality. They might also win. You might have to also watch them win. But the thing is, is the halftime show isn't a competition. Yeah. You know, are you watching it just hoping Usher keeps his shirt on? Like, is that the competition? Shirt on or off? It'd be a weird bet to like make against anyone, really. Also, it's a losing bet. It's Usher. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if I looked like that man, I'd take my shirt off too. (laughs) I mean, I feel like the fun game of it would be what songs and what order will he play them in? That's the only game you can really play. You know what I mean? That's it. I mean, it really depends on the artist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or what special guest who's not advertised that you think might show up. Cause then you could pick through some of his duets and some of his collabs and maybe try to guess like, you know, I'm surely somebody would have guessed that Luda might've been there, you know? Or some of them, you know. Jermaine Dupree threw me off. Was not expecting Jermaine Dupree at all. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. I mean, Little John, Ludacris, those made sense. Alicia Keys, they had announced that. Uh, Will I Am caught me off guard a little bit. And her caught me off guard. But Jermaine Dupree is the one that really threw me for a loop. Because I'm like, is was Usher just like, I'm going to throw my, my man a, like a bone or something? Like, just give him something? Because I did not know oh, yeah. anybody was clamoring for Jermaine Dupree. And I've got nothing against him. Oh, yeah. And I heard this in passing and didn't know if it was true or not. Is it true that they don't get paid for the Super Bowl? Like there's for performing Super Bowl halftime, like there's some sort of trade off, like you, you do it for the publicity to promote followers, things like that. And there's a big trade off for doing it. Like they are not paid to come in and do a Super Bowl halftime show. That sounded. I do not know since Apple took it over. Okay. I don't so know. It could be a different thing. I so know maybe during it wasn't the, always like that. The Pepsi Super Bowl days, it wasn't that you didn't get paid, Justin. It was that you had to pay to do it. Hmm. Because the logic was you get enough publicity to make the money up anyway. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was overhearing is that 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 they don't pay them, you know, it's more advantageous for the artist to come on. So you don't get paid, you know. Yeah, I I considered, yeah. I do not know since Apple took it over. So this was the third year Apple's done it. I don't know. I did just look it up real quick and it said that yeah, entertainers do not get paid to play the Super Bowl, at least not what they usually make. They only make union scale for their performances. There you hmm. go. Okay. Which union scale ain't shit on something like that, especially compared to like what you're getting, like what kind of artists, you know, but, but it's the Super Bowl bump. I mean, Spotify reported yeah. the day after the Super Bowl, Usher streams went up 550%. See? Yeah. Yeah. 
And didn't he announce he got married or something like right after the Super Bowl? Yeah, but he got married before the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. He got married before, but announced after. Hmm. And I mean, I didn't even check to see what the rating was of the Super Bowl, but I imagine this is the highest rated Super Bowl that has ever existed. Really? Nice. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. This is also the most streamed Super Bowl that ever existed. Do you think it's because of Taylor Swift? No, I think it has everything to do with the fact that it was actually able to stream. Mm, Yeah. I mean, how, like, is it common? Because I know that the Chiefs won two years in a row, right? That has not happened since the early 2000s. Okay. So it's not very common. Yeah. No, it is not. You know, it's a very, very uncommon thing. So, yeah, it's the first back-to-back Super Bowl since the early 2000s, right? Since the New England Patriots? Yeah. 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 Sadly, I base my mind off of who performed what year. <laughs> One of those was the Janet Jackson years, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, really? Back in, like, 2004 or something like that? 2003. Three or four? 2003, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it might have been the 2003-2004 season. They beat the Carolina Panthers. I remember that. I just remember um, at that time, there was a Super Bowl party happening at my youth group, and uh, they were streaming that. They were streaming that Super Bowl halftime show at the church, and uh, then they immediately cut it off. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of uh, older halftime performances, so... I was listening to, um, pardon the interruption podcast. It's a sports podcast. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but just so if anybody's not familiar, it's a sports podcast. And so they were talking about the Super Bowl halftime show. And one of them was like, oh, yeah, that Usher, it's got to be one of the best halftime performances that I've seen. It definitely one, one of the best in recent years, probably one of the best. And then the other guy, and he's a real old guy, and he was like, oh, really? You would put that over Up With People in the 70s? And he was like, you don't remember that one? Up With People? And then they started laughing, and, you know, the guy was like, I can't believe you made that reference. So I looked up. I went to YouTube, and I had to see what they were talking about. And, like, (laughs) I got through. It was like nine. It's a nine-minute-long video. And like, there were like, and they were singing that everybody's going surfing, surfing USA. And like white people were rolling around on the ground and kicking their feet up and it kind of was dancing. And I, dude, I was laughing, bro. Like it was pretty funny, dude. Like I was just, I didn't even get through the whole thing, but. I'm probably going to have to finish it. And so now I'm probably going to wind up going down this rabbit hole of just like old Super Bowl halftime performances. Oh, get ready just... to see some shit, Justin. <laughs> there, there, there was a guy with a jetpack in one. Uh, what? There was like baton twirlers <laughs> one year. Uh, I believe there was a stage music uh, magician one year. I believe there's like a, a flipping dog one year too. It gets fucking, the 60s were a crazy time. 
but that's what it was. It was like super like that. What I was watching in the seventies, it was like super like hipster Super Bowl halftime show, you know. And I just found it really funny when you think about yeah well, what, what we it got is now. Yeah. this past weekend and that. It's just interesting. The first. 30 seconds of Usher's halftime show cost more money than the entire decades of the 60s and 70s combined. Yeah. Yeah. In just yeah. power, probably alone, just the power requirements was probably more money than all of those halftime shows combined. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Honestly, like, I think last year's was really, really great with Dr. Dre and everybody. <laughs> no, last year was Rihanna. Oh, sorry. The year before that, then, yeah, with Dr. Dre. And yeah, everybody. but Rihanna was fine too. Like Rihanna, Rihanna was, fine. was good. Yeah, the yeah. The, the, the the Dr. Yeah. Dre one that was because that was the first one with Apple. You know that one was good. Mm-hmm. I mean the 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 Lady Gaga one was fine. The the Katy Perry one was fine. You know, like we've had a bunch of fine yeah. ones. Like I, I'm always gonna love the J Lo Shakira one. I love that one. That was oh, a that great one. Was tight. one. Yeah, that one like was say what you want, but that might be my favorite one just because I love like I've watched that over and over. <laughs> it's so good. It's so fun. The single hands down best one ever, though, is the Prince one. It's not even close. And see, I haven't even it's seen that not one. Even I need to close. see it. Yeah, the that Prince makes sense. Halftime show is one of the best. A, he covers Foo Fighters. And B, he's playing Purple Rain in the rain. Like, oh, there's just, there's not a better single halftime performance ever. I don't know, man. You need to watch that Up With People, bro. I'm telling you, you you're <laughs> right sleeping up on Up With People. Justin, I said what I said. You slept on. You're sleeping on I said Up what With I People, said. man. You're sleeping on I said it, what I said. Like how Quasi was sleeping next to that corpse. You're yeah, sleeping. sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right. Don't commit a quasi with up with people, man. Oh, no, I'm not committing a quasi. I'm saying that performance is a quasi. (laughs) Oh, but people out there, do yourself a favor. Up with people. Super Bowl halftime show. You won't be sorry. Just just Google Super Bowl shows throughout the ages or Super Bowl halftime shows throughout the ages. (laughs) Go watch that old shit. It's. It's some weird shit. Back when they were just like begging people, they were like running out to the street like 10 minutes before halftime going, just somebody come do something. Yeah. Crazy ass shit. You guys ready to talk about this movie? Yeah. Anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we're going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the new movie, American Fiction. We will go... Spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around in both audio and video formats. With all that, Heather, 
What are your spoiler-free thoughts about American fiction? Yeah, I was looking forward to this when I heard about it um, the first time, and it it does not disappoint. Like, I honestly loved this movie. (laughs) This actually might be one of my favorites. I mean, I think it's probably my favorite of this year, but just in, I don't know, recent memory. Like, I just... I really, really like this movie a lot. I think that the dialogue is excellent in this movie. I think the acting performances are really, really good. And I just loved the like family dynamics that you see in this with all the different characters. I think they do a really great job and it's relatable in that way because it feels like a real family. And I think that was probably one of the strongest things about this movie was just that really natural dynamic between everybody. Um, This cast is amazing. Obviously. I mean, Jeffrey Wright is, I don't know, like part of me kind of just wants him to win now for the Oscar. (laughs) Like after this movie, he was so good in this movie. And, um, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross, I love her. Sterling K Brown, like everybody in this movie is just so good. Um, Erica Alexander, man, I missed her and stuff. I haven't seen her in something in a while, but I loved her in Living Single. Um, Her small role that she had in Get Out. I think she was like the detective or something like that. I don't know, but I just missed her in movies. She's just really funny and she was really great in this. So, man, like I figured I was going to like this movie, but it actually kind of exceeded my expectation of how much I thought I was going to like it. So it, I mean, it's a compelling story. It's really, I mean, just engaging the entire time. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's a little heartbreaking. Like it's really all of the things that you could really ask for. You know what I mean? And, you know, you don't, you, there's some things in this movie that like, I mean, it's almost one of those that, I have to be really nitpicky to find something in this movie that I don't like. You know, I just think the way that it's paced and the way they tell the story is really good. Um, There are some things that um, I, that did a a little bit surprise me with how things turned out, but um, in a good way, you know, I just, I feel like this movie is just so rich with thought and rich with comedy and just very, an intelligent movie. I guess I would say it's just really well done on all fronts. It's so good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, it's one of those where (laughs) like, I have to wait till we get to spoilers to really talk about like some of the things that, you know, I might be nitpicky about, but I mean, just in general, I, I don't know. This is up there for me. Like I really just loved everything they did with this movie and the story that they told with it. Um, the irony of it, everything, you know, um, against also the backdrop of family drama. It's all just really, really good. So, um, this is an excellent movie in my opinion. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I think I was really impressed with it as well. Um, I think that I can definitely understand why 
it's got a lot of the Oscar buzz that it has. And I can see now why Jeffrey Wright is one of the nominated actors. Like this was just a really great effort, just a really good comedy, a very, very good satire. And one, and and it's a movie about, it's, it's like, it's the satire on, stereotypes, black stereotypes, how there can be stereotypes within the culture, how there can be, um, and and this really nice message about, um, like not only being your true self, not only being honest about your true self, but also sometimes the compromises that, we all sometimes kind of make for things and to make life work and stuff like that. You know, the, the, the difficulty of sometimes being a hundred percent who you are just, you know, sometimes you just make simple compromises just to make life work. I think a little bit of that is in here. Um, The, the, the hypocrisy of just people, things, how we look at things. I mean, there's just a lot here under the surface and it's fun to dissect and look at and think about. So it's got all of that in spades, but like you said, Heather, it's it's not only just the, the satire stuff that's good, but there's also this family dynamic that is that, that for this character um, monk, a lot of what he's going through with his family is mirroring sort of the struggle that he's having on this side as an, as a writer. And I liked that. I like how what was going on with his family parallel kind of this journey that, that was going on with him as a writer in a lot of ways. And then other ways it was different, but that was interesting. I think that's what makes this movie so interesting is how they took those family dynamics and made it so perfectly line up with the struggle we were having as a writer with identity and everything like that. And all of it kind of is this identity struggle in so many ways, how the, how he looked at himself, how he looked at other people and other writers and other work, how he looked at his own work as a writer, how he looked at his relationships to his family members. It all kind of lines up to sort of this identity journey we went on. So I appreciated all of that. And then just the supporting actors and the cast were just all, I mean, everybody was great. Um, Sterling K. Brown was just awesome. Anytime that him and Jeffrey were on screen or doing something together, they, they were cool. They had a really cool brother dynamic in this. Um, Issa Rae also did very well in this. Like she's not in it a lot, I would say, but she is, especially like in the, like, probably like the end of the second on into the third act. 
And she really comes through when she's in the movie and the movie decides to give her scenes and there are those interactions and everything because she's painted a certain way. And then when we get to, when we actually get to her, I like some of the revelations that we get when we finally understand more about that character. So that was even done well. Um, Man, I just I I just really thought that this was and then the last thing I'll say is just that man th- this is like the definition to me of intelligent writing. I know I've been saying that a lot cuz we've been reviewing some other Oscar nominated films and I and I you know we talk about um dumb writing a lot too on this podcast just cuz of the movies we've reviewed but Man, you want to talk about a movie intelligently written. It's this. Just even if you're thinking about story structure, even when you're thinking about dialogue, it just feels like everything is say every every piece of dialogue, every event that happens, everything just felt like it was done with purpose. And sometimes when you watch these movies and you struggle to understand what the purpose is. It's just nice to see a movie that had it all together, you know, one that showed up on time, one that was prepared, had the report ready and the PowerPoint ready to go and knew what they were talking about. You know, sometimes it's nice when uh, a movie shows up like that, you know, they're, they're well-dressed or they weren't late to the appointment you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's just like how it's nice when that happens in a meeting or something, or when you're meeting with someone about some business you have to talk about. That's how this movie felt to me. It was just sharp from top to bottom, knew what it was talking about, knew that it had a goal to accomplish and knew exactly how to do that. It knew exactly how to entertain you. It knew when to be funny. You know, and there's a lot to say about a film. We always talk about comedians with comedic timing, but a film having its comedic timing is also very important. You know, we talk about that a lot too. Like I think about the Marvel movies and how sometimes we talk about how when it chooses to be comedic is not the right time. And, you know, I think we talked about Thor, um, Love and Thunder and how it struggled with its comedic timing with some things. This, it just felt like every joke came at the right time. Anytime it was trying to be funny, it didn't feel like it it was manufactured. Like this is the part where you laugh, patron, aren't you going to laugh? You know, nothing ever felt like that. It always felt like the jokes came at the right time, because I guess because they always felt like real people, kind of like what you said, Heather, the dialogue felt so natural and flowy and real that when the laugh comes, it comes because you're laughing, not you're laughing because everything is adding up. It's funny what the character is saying, but it's also funny because this is the character that would be saying it. This is a believable reaction from this character. And then on top of that, all of it is helping the narrative along. So this is just a really, really superbly written, very intelligent, sharp script from 
top to bottom. And I can't say that about a lot of movies. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this, man. It is really good. This is a movie that really had its shit together from top to bottom. And sometimes when a movie shows up like that, you got to respect it. And you're going to probably have an enjoyable time watching it. I'm going to start this off by talking about Cord Jefferson. Cord Jefferson is the man that adapted this movie from a book to a screenplay. He also directed it. I wish I could think that, man. He did a fantastic job at both. Adapting it into a screenplay and directing the fuck out of this movie. Fantastic. Like, uh, I mean... It's impeccably well written. It's it's incredibly funny. I have not genuinely laughed out loud at a movie like I did this one in a very long time. It just became it ended up becoming one of those things where it just becomes a joy to watch. You're just sitting there going on this journey and just enjoying it. Because one of the hardest things when it comes to to comedies is choosing when to not be funny. When not to tell a joke. To tell those elements of the story you have to have to make the other parts funny. And based on this, I mean... That man, this is his first fucking direct like time directing anything. And he comes across like a seasoned fucking veteran. Cause there are there are moments that are just genuinely emotional. Like happy emotional and sad emotional and just genuinely emotional. And there's just like these great, pure, funny moments just sprinkled throughout it. And you just get this wildly enjoyable and cinematic gamut of human emotions. And they all feel right. At no point do you feel like you're being presented the wrong emotion. Every emotion that they present in this movie is the right emotion for that scene. For that time. You know, and then on top of that, too, you, you've you just got this cast of actors that, you know, are just amazing at their craft and also obviously just buying into everything that this guy did with it. You know, they're, they're going along with what he, you know, wrote and directed. You know what I mean? Like, they're just in support of his vision with this wholeheartedly. Like you, you'll, you can see some good movies with good direction or just good acting and they don't always line up for great movies. They do, you know, and this is one of those movies where it does it. The, the actors, the, I mean, the writer and director is the same guy, but it's the actors and, and the writer director 
they're all on the same page in this. There's not any scene in this movie that even really like that feels out of place. Every scene has a purpose. Every, you know, they don't dwell on anything too long. Everything felt appropriately dwelled on. They just, it just is one of those things that, especially for a first time director, there are so many things that you might get caught up on in this movie. We need to be funnier more often. We need to be sadder here. We need to be angrier here. We need to do this. We need to like, oh, this is a heartbreaking scene. So we need to linger on it longer. You don't always need to. Certain movies can. You know, they linger on some of the more seriously emotional beats in A Color Purple. But it was appropriate in that movie. It wouldn't have been appropriate at times in this movie. And the fact that the director knew that makes it feel good. This is one of those times, though, that, like, I'm watching one of these, like, Academy Award darlings. And I'm genuinely thinking, I'm going to be watching this movie a few times. This is going to be a movie I rewatch. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of feel a little sad that I waited till the day we recorded to watch this. Because I might have pulled the Jastin. I might have watched it multiple times if I had seen this beforehand. And I've got no one to be mad at but myself with that. It's a really great movie. Really great movie. Recommendations and scores? Yep. Yep. Recommendations and scores. What you got, Justin? It's a yes for me. Um, I, I mean, there's really nothing, really more to say about it, non-spoiler. Like, it's just, it's, it, it's funny. It's, it, it's very well paced. It's got some really great active performances, and it's about a subject matter that I think. You know, you some people might think that, well, you know, it's got this, the, the cast is majority black and it's about this black writer and kind of what he's dealing with in his family and everything. And, you know, some people may be like, well, maybe that's not anything I can relate to, but they found a way to bridge that gap to where this is not just for black people. Y- yes, it probably, there are things and there are probably things that culturally We'll recognize and we'll speak to us more, but there are very relatable concepts in here about identity that I think anybody can struggle with or things with their family that I think these are relatable struggles, no matter what color you are. So I think it bridges that gap well enough and it's relatable enough and it's funny enough and it's compelling enough to where I would recommend anybody see this. You know, I think that there's enjoyment 
and there's something you can gather from this no matter who you are. And when when a movie is done well enough, I think it accomplishes that. And I feel like this is definitely one of those that does. So, yeah, it deserves the flowers that it's getting. It deserves the Oscar attention. It's just one of those movies where, yes, it deserves to be there in the lineup. It is that good of a film when it, when you're talking about quality. And I do believe it is one of the best films that definitely that we've reviewed this year. I mean, it has to be. So yeah, all of that is good. So we're going to go. Um, we'll go 93. Um, throwing your brother in his egotistical swimming pool out of a hundred. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I think you really nailed it by saying that it's a movie that it's, it's really about anybody in a way. Like there's certain things about it that no matter what race or background or whatever you're from, like you can relate to this. It's the family dynamics. It's the story behind it. It's the identity of, of yourself and all of that, that really hits home here. I mean, and there really, there really were as funny as this movie is, there are some times that it really kind of got me a little emotional with some of the stuff that they were talking about or some of the scenes that happen. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's just really a beautiful movie. Like, for me, I feel like these are the types of movies that I think should be winning Oscars. <laughs> like these are the ones that should be winning best movie. You know what I mean? Like because of just how well it relates to just humans in general, you know, and um, it's smart writing, it's intelligent writing, and it's it's just so good in every aspect of it. Like, yeah, it's. I, I feel like I agree too that it's one of those I would definitely put on a rewatch list. So yeah, I mean, I for sure recommend this movie. I, I just think that you're going to get something out of it no matter what type of movie you like, you know? Um, and you're just going to really, I just, I, 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 I think it would be difficult to find a performance in this that you don't like. Everybody just really brought it in this movie. Um, and, and yeah, like, uh, what his name is cord. What is his name? Cord Jefferson, Jeff Jefferson. Okay. Cause I know that I was trying to figure out like looking at the dialogue and everything in this movie, I was like, what has this man done before? And I mean, he's done, I think he wrote several episodes of the Watchmen, uh, series and he wrote several episodes of the good place and things like that that I've seen. And I'm like, okay, all right. I really enjoy this. Like, and I didn't see Watchmen, but I watched The Good Place and I get it. Like the dialogue in that movie too, it adds up. Like he's just very good at writing great dialogue. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, everything's well done. And like, and this is a, this was a book first. Is that right? And that, see, I didn't actually realize that. So, you know, I'm sure that's also part of it, but 
just every yeah i mean it's it it is a clean movie all around like it's just a tightly put together movie everything they do in this movie has purpose everything it doesn't do in this movie has a purpose and i think there's something to be said for that too like there's a lot of times when there's you know you you might have like a little bit of ambiguity with certain things in a movie and sometimes for me i'm like well, I feel like that should be something that we closed up. But with the things that happen in this movie, I'm okay with it, you know, because just how well they tell the story and how you're just on this journey with um, Monk and everything he's dealing with, you don't care. (laughs) You're just like, I'm just here for the ride. I just want to see what happens next. So, and I think that that means you've made a really good movie um, and told a really good story. So, yeah, definitely a recommend for me. Um, I'm going to go 94 um, different ways to end the movie adaptation <laughs> out of 100. I recommend it, obviously. I mean, it's just one of those movies where... It's too smart not to love. It really is. I think both of you guys, you know, have already addressed this, but it is a movie that is universally themed whilst told from a black character perspective. And I think too many people aren't going to give this movie a chance because of that. And I, I think you're making the wrong choice. A, because it's always great to get stories from people that aren't like you. But B, you're also just wrong. This isn't a movie for black people. This is a movie for people. It's just told from the black perspective. There are elements of this movie that can touch and hit home with just about anybody. Like Justin said, maybe not everything, but enough. Enough that this movie will still work. This will still be a great movie. Regardless. And also, there are worse things to do than see Sterling K. Brown, the second sexiest Sterling, of course, other other than myself, than just see him without a shirt. Constantly. Like that, that and that's what's so perplexing about that man. And almost <laughs> so unfair about that man. <laughs> it's just rude. To be that good looking and that unbelievably talented. It's rude. And to be a genuinely nice person from anything I've ever seen about that man. He seems like the most joyful, kind person ever. And also to be named Sterling. You're an asshole for that. (laughs) God, you want to have body image issues? 
have a motherfucker named Sterling look like that whilst your name is Sterling. Just fucking terrible. But also, like I said, unbelievably talented. If you've ever seen the movie The Predators, which not many people did, so I don't blame you. There is only one good thing in that entire movie. And it is Sterling K. Brown. And he is almost good enough in that movie to make you rewatch it. Because nothing else is. Not a single person ever has watched that movie more than once. And it not solely be for him. Shane Black's I mean, I mother, think, I don't even think, watched it. <laughs> it's that bad. I think the only other movie we reviewed with him on the channel, at least, is or on our podcast, is uh, Hog for Jesus, Save Your Soul, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, I yeah, everything he does is gold. Like, This Is Us, he's amazing in that. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he's amazing in that. It's my favorite episode like, of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's widely known as the best episode of the entire series by a lot of people. And it's because of Sterling K. Brown. That man is gold. There's also like this really funny, um, like he does some kind of video. I think it was during COVID where him and Jeff Goldblum got together and did an interview while making Christmas cookies. And it's like the, the greatest thing you'll ever see in your life with Jeff Goldblum and Sterling K. Brown just being themselves around each other is the best. So and he's also uh, uh, an interview he did with Kelly Clarkson is also my favorite Kelly Clarkson interview. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh yeah. It's fantastic. recent. Like, not like for this, this year. Movie. No, 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 no. Okay. For probably last time, but yes, fantastic. Um, you know, and it, Jeffrey Wright, just having that research, that, like that surge, at an older age is fantastic because if you want to see a man that's just been underutilized almost his old damn career, it's Jeffrey Wright. Like just. Yeah. Him and Tobin Bell should get together and just make a movie (laughs) and be the stars. I don't know if I want that or not. (laughs) It'd have to be a Saw movie. Because I don't know, way I don't know if Tobin Bell can do a damn thing outside of a Saw movie. I don't know. Give him his leading man chance. I don't know. Yeah, give him another Saw movie to lead. I don't know if I want to. You know, it is the thing is I don't know if I want Jeffrey Wright in a Saw movie. Nothing against the Saw movies, but he's too good for you. He's too good for you. Yeah, that's that's fair to say. Especially because yeah. your ass wasted a Tobin Bell. So. If you're going to go waste a Tobin <laughs> Bell, you don't deserve a Jeffrey Wright, damn it. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just. I mean, like I said, I was just sitting on my couch watching this movie and just laughing so much. It was just a genuine joy to watch. I'm going to give this a 
95. Uh, 95 books named fuck out of 100. You would love that. <laughs> yep. I knew you liked that title. Oh, fucking perfect. Uh, Cinescore for this movie is a 94. Excellent. Spoilers? Yep. Yep. Spoilers. I do have one big gripe with this movie, and it's major to me. How the fuck do you kill off Tracy uh, Ellis Ross so early in this movie? Yep, that's that my complaint broke to you. my fucking soul. I know. I was so sad. I was loving her. She that that they were they had such a great dynamic. I was like, oh. man, this is. I love these two together. This is going to be great. I get a. Don't you just want to see I'm a movie sure. of a car ride between them? Yeah, like I was like, oh, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy this the whole movie, and then she died. <laughs> I was like, no. Please. And the fact that they set up that her and Sterling K. Brown's character were close. And I was like, that's a dynamic See, I want. That That is something we got robbed of. Seeing Sterling K. Brown and her on screen together. Yeah. We yeah. were fucking robbed. And that mm-hmm. kind of makes me slightly mad at this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like even though you didn't promise me that, you did. Like, I know you didn't, but you kind of did. You implied the fuck out that promise. And you took it away from me. You took something away from me that I did not know I need in my life. Because Jeffrey Wright and her were fantastic together. Jeffrey Wright and Sterling K. Brown, fantastic together. And you took away the potentiality of Sterling K. Brown and Tracy Ellis Ross being fantastic together. And then on top of that, you took away all three of them being fantastic together together. Yeah. This is honestly my exact same thought I had. That's right up there with the rudeness that is Sterling K Brown existing. It's unfair. Like there are things, you know how sometimes there are things in the world you don't know you need until you find out about them. That is the potentiality of what some things in this movie could have been. Can I get a director's cut that's just them sitting around a coffee table or something at least? Right. Like a behind the scenes documentary where it's just them talking for 30 minutes. Can I at least get that? Something to give me the greatness that is implied by the casting of this movie. I just, it makes me so sad. And that is legitimately my biggest gripe with this movie is these just unsaid promises that were stolen from me. Outside of that, I've got really no issues with anything else in this movie. Other than the fact that it punched my very soul so early on. But also, you know, it also goes to the effectiveness of the writing and the, you know, the making of this movie that they were able to do that and still make this movie like really good and really special. And like her character had just as much weight 
as all the other members of this family because you had the weight of the loss of her after experiencing her for a little bit. And you've got the weight of the family dealing with it. You, you've still got the importance of the character from a very short amount of screen time. And it's like, oh, effective movie writing and making and just all that other shit. But I really loved her. Yeah, I just forget how extremely, like, charismatic she is. Like, she's just one of those people that, you know what? Robbed of an Issa Rae, Tracy Ellis Ross, too. That would have been a great dynamic, too. But um, I don't know if we would have actually gotten them together, though. I'm just saying, all of them in the movie together. Just I want all of yeah, I want her to interact with all of them. just have the entire cast of this movie talk around a coffee table? <laughs> yeah, just Am I, why I'm not? I'm not asking too much. I'll give them some money. I've got, like, seven bucks. <laughs> I know and it'll that, go all to that. I know yeah. that they're they're all rich and famous and that's not worth their time, but it'd mean the world to me and I'll give them everything I got. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But yeah, that's it, you're right though cuz it's like her in just 4 minutes of screen time was just enough for you to just absolutely love her as a character. So and I mean, since we're in spoilers, I want to talk about some things I really loved that I couldn't bring up because of like, I, um, because it was potentially a spoiler and whatnot is, oh, Keith David. Also, once again, just Keith David coming in and being amazing, just constantly being amazing. Like, you want to talk about a like somebody that's just been, you know, Slept on their whole career. It's what Keith David. Just that man shows up, gives a great performance and bounces. I mean, that man is even on NBC's The Cape. You remember The Cape, Justin? Do you remember watching the first episode of The Cape? (laughs) Yes. I don't even know what that is. The Cape. You're a lucky son of a bitch, Heather. Yeah, you're lucky. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. It is a terrible TV show about a guy that gets trained how to use a cape to be a superhero. Like he he learns uh-huh. he, he learns like cape jitsu or something. Why did this concept for a show pass? Like why did he get <laughs> greenlit and went through so many people? Like that sounds like the weirdest show ever. I mean, it wasn't even that. It was it was filmed. They filmed it. But yeah, that that was yes, the thing that happened. Keith David is in it, but you know one thing you can't say that he was bad though. I mean that show's horrendous, but you know who's not him. And so it's one of those things that like I I love to like. I didn't catch that it was him right off the bat. Uh, Cause when that scene started, I weirdly enough had a cat jump up in my face. So I did not see the screen, but the second he spoke, I'm like, cat, get off my face. I'm missing him. I'm missing Keith Davis. Cause you just know the second he says a syllable, you know, it's him. And I had to remove a cat from my face so I could see it. 
It was fantastic. Loved it. So much. Uh, uh, Issa Rae. She's fantastic in this too. I liked, I, I loved that the, the argument she had with Jeffrey right at the end because I, I, I love arguments where both people are right. Because that's a very fun argument. You know, and it's, it's, it's like, it's funny because it's like the exact opposite of when me and Jason argue about uh Burking because I'm obviously right and he's wrong, you know? So we have the, we have that different dichotomy with it. We're like, we're both like, if we were both right about something, but I don't know if me and Jason have ever had one of those arguments. Because he's just wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, Jason, there was that one time you tried to tell me I was not a praying mantis. You're a fucking liar. I was a praying mantis. And also, Jason, you cannot say that. You're Mr. F- I, you know, Albatross. Fuck right off. You're wrong all the damn time. Albatross. But no, it's it, it's it's a really... Like, it's a really interesting dynamic with it because they're both right about their reasons and what they're arguing about. And they're also both right about their critiques of the other one. And like, you know, because she doesn't know she's critiquing him with the book. So she's critiquing him for that, but also critiquing him on his point of view about what she wrote. Like, so she's like kind of twofold critiquing him. And it just created a very interesting dynamic. And also it set up one of my favorite scenes in this movie. When they are sitting there, And they're debating on whether or not fuck should win the award or not. And the the way they split the table and they're like, oh, they're debating and debating in the very end of the thing. They're like, well, you know, they're talking about the whole time about how important this book is for the time, how important it is to listen to black voices, how important it is to just do all these things. And then they're like, well, the vote's three to two and it's three white people against two black people and the white people win. Even though both of the black people were like critiquing and critical of actually nominating it. And they're like, you know, it's so important that we listen to black people three to two. We win. And then they set up the shot where it's just all three of the white people in a line and both the black people in the line on the opposites into the table. It's, it work, and I love it because it works as a physical joke of like looking at the separation of the scene and how it's lined up. You get that joke, but then you also get the joke of the situation. And I loved that because a lot of movies wouldn't do that. It, and it just, or they would try to be too obvious about it. They'd have a, they would have somebody comment on it or something like that. This movie doesn't do it because it's smart. They just put it there. So if you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, you don't. And when you do, it adds to the movie. 
loved that fucking scene. Also, I loved the scene when he's like, I want to change the name of the book to fuck. That's a great scene. His dynamic with his agent. Oh, it's fucking gold. Every time they were on scene together, they felt like friends for like 30 years. They did. Every time they were on screen together, they felt like they were friends for 30 years. Yeah. Like it oozed off that their dynamics, their body language, the way they'd interact with each other physically and verbally. It just played like chums. You know, like I, I liked how each one of them could always kind of had, had like a good estimation as to what the other person would do or would think, you know what I mean? Like they just is like that, that intuitiveness when you know somebody. And that just kind of came across. And that's something even really good actors and good scripts aren't always able to do because it's hard to artificially mimic some of these things. You could have, you could be the greatest actor in the world, but the script is just a little weak, just a little, it could be a great script, but just a little weak with the dialogue. Your performance shifts a little bit. It's not as natural as it could be. You could also be, you could also have the, the most perfectly written script that's ever existed. And you just have a, an actor that's just a little weak. Good actor, good performance, but a little weak. So it doesn't come across as natural as you wanted it to. And it's just this movie, like I said, had that perfect combination of strong cast, strong script. So you never really got those weak, unnatural elements throughout this movie. And I think it was kind of exacerbated or not exacerbated. It was exemplified in some of these scenes. Uh, Justin, what about you? No, um, I like the point you made about the argument with Wright and Issa Rae's characters. That was a great scene. And I think that in a lot of ways that scene encapsulates um, kind of one of the main themes of this movie because th- this movie was great about irony. There's a lot of irony in this film it's kind of laced all over it the and and it, and the irony helps to kind of point out some of the hypocrisies with everything and how sometimes it's it's about like the hypocrisy of the system like you were saying sterling with these white people saying oh we need to listen to black voices. And ironically, they are not listening to the black voices in the room and out and outvoting them and things like that. It, it, and it kind of speaks to just kind of this whole industry thing of trying to be inclusive and not trying to offend, but in doing so doing exactly the opposite of those things <laughs> in a lot of situations or things being disingenuous and stuff like that. Like it's funny because like I was on just going through my apps the other day 
And, you know, it's February. It's that time of year. And I think there was even a line in this where they were like, you know, it's Black History Month and white people are feeling. I forget the word that the guy that the book um, consulted used, but he was like, they're feeling like they like they want to be aware or they're feeling awareness or he said something like that. I wish I should have wrote down the line, but he said something like that. And it's funny because like, I'm going through all these apps. Like I was on the Disney one and it was like, and there, and there's, and they made a, a whole section. And it's like black voices, you know, it was like, look at these black, these great black films and these black voices. And so they've sort of, sectioned off all of these films with black people in them or where black people are main characters. And they're all there in a nice little, uh, black, you know, black themed collection that you can look at. Justin, and it's funny because you. every app has this. Oh go, yeah. Was the color scheme also red, green, yellow, and black? Yes. Yeah. I was just curious if they did that too. Yep. You yeah. know it. Yeah. You know it. The the lettering and the font and, and and it's interesting because like I went to Netflix and they had one. They there's like a they've created a black section for Black History Month that you can go through and look at all these films and stuff like that. And, and I get that. You know, is, is it is it necessarily a bad gesture or not a nice thing? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, somebody could look at it and go, well, at least there's some acknowledgement, but I couldn't help but just see all of these apps doing this. And it feels kind of disingenuous. Like it feels like you just question if this is coming from a genuine place. Well, does that have anything to do with it? Doesn't it's not there until February 1st and it disappears on March 1st. Exactly. Like, I think maybe that's what it is. That's yeah. Why is it? Yeah. Why is it that just there all the time? Like, it's just so funny when, oh, it's February. It's Black History Month. We'll do this. You know, it just feels like, like a gesture that just lacks. It just seems like it lacks some sincerity in a way. And I think about this movie and and I think that that was just one of the ironic things about this movie is you have all these people talking about inclusivity and stuff like that. And they're just completely, but then to read a book like this and think that it's representative of black people and stuff is like totally the opposite thing. So you understand Jeffrey Wright or Monk's position and how he views this and how he views um, this book and everything and why he wrote his mock book fuck to kind of make fun of it. So you understand his position. But what I love about the movie is that characters that are just right from the start to the finish are boring characters. You know, they tend to be boring it's 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 one thing to have a character and i understand that there are movies with heroes and yes your 
hero or your protagonist, you want them to be right about most things, but they don't have to be right about everything. Maybe their methods, maybe they, they still need to learn something. They still need to discover something. Something needs to challenge them. And so that scene you're talking about, Sterling, with Issa Rae is a pivotal scene because in a way, back to that magic word, irony, while he is angry at the stereotypes and uh, of, of the stereotypes because he feels like it perpetuates um, a certain black image and it makes people judgmental in the wrong way of black people, he himself was being judgmental and stereotyping this other author and pointing the finger. So that was ironic in a way, you know? But then also he was mad that her reason for thinking it was pandering was not the same or coming from the same place as why he thought it was pandering, which is then also adds to what you're saying, Jess, more irony. Like he's yes. like, yeah, I agree. It's pandering. Cause he also like, you know, has the secret knowledge of, I wrote it to be pandering, but he's also like, but, but you're pandering. And she's like, no, I'm marketing. Yeah. Which is yeah. also irony because she's marketing through pandering, but then also mad that this book's pandering. Yeah. Because like to her, it's, I researched it and wrote it. I'm not claiming it's my life. This person's claiming it, it's their life, so that's pandering. But me not claiming it's my life, but writing the same thing, that's not pandering. So, yeah, like, yeah, that's it's the weird dichotomy of dueling ironies. Yes, and, and, the, and the dueling irony is constant in the film, but that was just one great example of it. It was just all in that scene. That was really a great scene. Um, so it, it has all of that, but even before that there's, it's also irony in this character's life and sort of what he's going through with his family, because he's fighting so hard to preserve this, to preserve the black identity and how, it's and how it's portrayed and looked at and judged in the media. But yet he himself is having this struggle with his identity within his family and what that means and how that relates to him and everything like that. And so it's also very ironic in that way too, because there was this whole journey about him and how he saw himself versus his other family members and how that made him and, and, and how he treated his family members and saw them because of that. So all of that is in there too. And that was a great journey too. So while he's having to learn and discover something about himself um, from that, from that identity standpoint, he also is, is learning something about himself as a writer and coming to some realizations about that. So I love the parallel that this movie was doing. And we talk so much about these other movies that lack narrative focus and they try to do so many things and they try to have 
all of these different themes flying at you and they just wind up accomplishing nothing. This felt so just focused on what it was trying to do and everything kind of lines up with that goal and all of, and, and just its use of irony. I feel like that was the biggest tool that it brought to this project. And they were, it was just so great about how it did that. And so many great lines, and there are a lot of great lines in this film, just a lot of quotable, memorable things. I love when Sterling K. Brown, and I, I even typed some of these lines up because I loved them so much. Like when he was talking to, when Sterling K. was talking to Wright, and he was like, enemies see each other better than friends do. That was a great line. Oh, yeah. And it's true. Just Like, it's an accurate thing. Like, somebody you hate, you weirdly focus on it more than the shit you love sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's just one of those lines where, like, if you're watching a movie at home, you pause it and go, damn, man. That was, like, some good shit, you know? Or the back to that argument. Man, that, that table argument between... Right and Issa Rae is just great too. But the line she said about potential, when she said potential is what someone says when they that. think what's in front of them isn't good enough. Yeah, I love man, that. Man, th- 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 this movie had bars, man. Oh, th- th- Jackson, this movie I think I also, bars. I think I found the, the quote you were talking about earlier. Is it the one that says, uh, white people think they want the truth, but they don't. They want to feel absolved. Is that the one you were talking about earlier? It was somewhere in that conversation. It wasn't that one, but it's somewhere in there when they were talking about okay. like the timing and white people eating the it June, up. the timing in Juneteenth. Cause it was like, you know, it's Juneteenth, you it, know, I think it was something about holidays. white guilt or something like that. Yeah. Like, something like that. And you know, white people are feeling like they, they want to be aware or he said, basically it was white guilt, but he said it, but he worded yeah. it different. But that was basically the point. But no, that line you're talking about, though, that was a great line, too. That That's another great line in this film uh, when they were talking about that. They don't want the truth. They just want to feel absolved. Great line. Well, see, great freaking line. And, and, and to combine what you two were talking about earlier, too, with or that we all talked about with the universality of this movie. With that that line, that potential line, the one you just brought up, Justin, as somebody that throughout my entire life has been told they're not living up to their potential, that line hits you so goddamn hard. Yeah. If you've been hearing that your whole life and hearing that, like, that perspective on it, it hits you square in the chest. Cause I'm like, yeah, yeah, movie. You didn't have to like call my entire childhood out with the fucking line that once again, very fucking rude movie. But yeah, it goes like once again, they're talking about it is that whole conversation. Yes. Is from the black perspective but also insanely universal that my grew up in fucking Texas white ass 
And it just, like I said, summated my entire childhood in a fucking sentence and how I felt people perceiving me. Like, cause every time I heard that, I felt I'm not good enough. Yeah. Was that, was that what was being said to me? No, they weren't directly saying you're not good enough. But that's how it feels when you hear it. When you're being told you're not living up to your potential, you're not doing what you should based on your potential. That's how you feel. Yeah. And I've heard that from parents, teachers, friends, siblings, everything my whole life. It really fucking hits you when you hear it from that perspective of just changing a few words to say what it means like that. Oh, it wrecks you. And I love the fact that it wrecked Jeffrey Wright too. You know? Yeah. 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 And it it was almost like, Back to just that whole irony thing, it was like he realized that he was, for lack of a better term, the pot calling the kettle black in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, that 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 was kind of the, the realization with that, because that same thing could be asked of him. Was he living up to his potential? Was he being... The And not only just his potential as a writer, but was he being the best family member he could be? Was he, was he, did, did he have the best image of himself? Well, you know, was he being the best boyfriend? You know, there are a lot of things where, uh, with this character that I love, like as he's pointing a finger or doing something, you can see how his behaviors and actions were also reflective of the very thing that he was so critical of and critiquing, but just in different ways. Um, And the last few things I'll say is just like, just other story things that were really good. Like um, when he's talking to Sterling K and they were having, and they were having the conversation about their dad It's another conversation. I just loved when Sterling K was like, you know, my dad died and never really knew that I was gay. You know, they went back and forth. Well, he may have suspected and everything like that. And he said, but and I'm a bridging care. But he was like, but what's really sad is that he died without knowing the true me. And that's really sad. You know, and that, I that's the like follow up to that, too. When Jeffrey Wright says, but he might have rejected you. And he, then he says, but he would have rejected the real me. And yeah, the, and he's like, and I take comfort in that, or I, I'm okay with that. Like something was the the last part of that, but and that's like a genuine thing too. It's like, yeah, like because by like by hiding part of yourself or whatever and getting rejected, you know, you're doing that as a self defense, you know, and all this other stuff. It's like, but if you reject the real me, that's on you then. Like I, I was giving you me, you, you know, you rejected that. That's on you. If you're rejecting the fake me, that's also partially on me because there's a chance you could have actually accepted the real me. Exactly. And if you're accepting a fake me, then 
it goes the other way too. Are you truly accepting who I actually am or are you accepting some version of me or what I'm putting out there and everything like that? And all of that goes back to his book that he wrote and how that wasn't the real him, but it was being accepted by everything. And that's why he's had such a problem with it. But at the same time, in his relationship with his girlfriend, he wasn't given, you know, he wasn't really revealing all of himself to her. You know, he kind of wasn't being truthful with her about things too. And so that caused a dent. Like you see how like, Every which way you look at this, you can find how this identity and this relationship and this whole thing about being the real you and the importance of that, you know, but how I think whether you're a writer or whether you're just a a daughter or a son or whatever, a family member, there's so much pressure coming at you from all sides to not be yourself, to not always be the real you. And I think this movie is just not about, oh, you got to, it's not, it's not always as easy just to do it, but the, and I don't, and I'm not saying the movie's like, oh, that's the simple answer. Just be yourself. But I definitely think it shows how difficult that is and how difficult it is to live your life when you are not able to do that, be your true self or show your true self to someone or something or some project, whatever it is. And also with that though, it also shows how just being like accepted for who you are, how big of a difference it could make. Yes. Uh, That scene with Cliff and Lorraine. Where, you know, he was going to go home, but instead he went to the beach house. He's like, I'm just going to do a bunch of drugs and bang some guys. And everybody shows up and he completely forgot the wedding and all that shit. He was, you know, for all intents and purposes, being a shitty brother and being a shitty, you know, family slash friend to Lorraine with all of that. And she comes in and she's just like, he's like, no, no, I'll get out of here. And she's like, no, you're, you're family. You're supposed to be here. Like you're never an imposition when you're family, like, you know, and just her just accepting him and what he feels is a low moment where no one in his family, even though they were maybe accepting of it, that he's gay, they wouldn't accept him with all the other baggage too. And she just walks in and goes, Oh no, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. And just accepted him for that moment. And in that moment is what I should have said. How it just drastically changed him. Yeah. Yeah. And even like the, the guys that he had with him and they're like, Oh, we can make breakfast. And she's like, that sounds great. You know, just completely like, cool. Like whatever. Everyone's welcome on my wedding day to just be here. And I loved that. And be yourself. Like, and then at the end, like then they're all dancing and stuff like that. And you know, nobody's like all those things he was worried about. No one accepting him were not an issue. And, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd even take it a step further. You get that a little more also with Jeffrey Wright's character. Cause when monk at the end, when he had confessed that he was this, this character and he wrote this book, notice how all of a sudden he's got a relationship with his brother. Because he's accepting who he is too. 
So even that modest amount of accepting who you are can change things and allows you to, you know, have relationships with people that you thought you wouldn't have or you thought were too damaged or thought, you know, any number of things. Those things are possible sometimes because he didn't think anybody would accept him for that. He wouldn't accepting of himself with that. And apparently, you know, based on the end of this movie, his brother didn't care that he lied about that book. You know, and they have were now developing a relationship that they had maybe missed out on. You know. And so once again, it goes back to those themes with that stuff. And also, once again, the irony of it all. Just assuming people would not accept you for who you are was the reason why nobody was accepting you for you who you were because nobody fucking knew you. Nobody knew you. <laughs> yep. This movie's Tell got you. layers. Yeah, this movie's badass. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm done, Heather. <laughs> I want to I want to bring up just along the theme you were talking about, the Jess, of of lines. I want to bring up one line that I laughed so hard at too was when uh Coraline Cliff and and Monk, they're all uh, the they're playing bocce ball and they're all just standing there talking and whatnot. And she he's like, "Why do you like my brother?" And she's like, "Well, he's funny, you know, like sad funny, like a three legged dog." And then he starts kind of getting sad about it, and they're like, "See that? It's right there. That that's what's funny." And then he kind of accepts it a little bit, and you know, and certainly K Brown kind of mocks, but it's just that. You know, funny, like a three-legged dog. And he's like, man, like, they're like, that's it. That right there. And then, like, you know, and I liked it. The cliff was like, oh, I get that. Because, yes, that right there, that is funny. Like, it was just, that was, that was a fun, like, moment of, like, that sibling ribbing, you know, that you have sometimes and, and stuff like that. It just, once again, was just a great little dynamic of, she knew how to kind of pick at him a little bit to get that reaction that everybody could laugh about. And I like that he laughed about it too. You know, that was just a genuinely phenomenal scene to me. No, you're right about that. Sorry, Heather. He made me think of more stuff, but like, no, that would, but all that brotherly ribbing that they were doing throughout the movie, anytime they did that, it was just great. And I, and it had, and there were so many callbacks to some of those ribs that just, hit so effectively whenever they did, like, you know, when Sterling Case telling the story about how, um, you know, uh, they only, there's only one gay bar. It's a bunch of young guys. They thought I was Tyler Perry or whatever. And then um, they one of them asked if I was Tyler Perry. And then at the end of the movie, whenever he's like, well, good, you know, with Sterling Case, like, well, good luck finding somebody to play me in this movie that you're about to make. And he goes, Tyler Perry, man, like, you know, like, like the fact that he told them Tyler Perry and then they both laugh. I laughed like that was just such a great full circle joke with that, you know, like, like, like they just did such a great job bringing that joke back. Or even the first time he tells him, oh, they thought I was Tyler Perry. And then uh, Jeffrey Wright goes, man, that's that's awful, man. 
doesn't Tyler Perry live in Atlanta? You know, yeah. like, you know, it brought the no, tension. Yeah. 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 You know, like he's talking about is terrible that like he's acting like it's terrible for Tyler Perry when his brother was kind of trying to say it was terrible. For, you know, it's just <laughs> they had some great jokes like that and just some great ribs on each other. So, yeah, all of that was just on point just incredibly on point well one of them that made me laugh was actually when they're on the phone and sterling k brown says i've taken a lover and then it's like it's like you have a problem with that and he's like no i have a problem with the fact that you said taking a lover (laughs) that made me laugh so hard the the, the other part with that too is like you have a problem with that homophobe he's like yeah i have a problem with you saying taking a lover Yeah, right. It was just such a funny moment to and me. Then, I, 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 I like to tell Sterling K. Brown, quit back. I'm about to take that lover to bed. Like, <laughs> I'm going to take him right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was just so funny to me. That whole scene was hilarious to me. But keep going. It's your turn, Heather. You finally get to go. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> well, I mean, and and it is funny, too, like that. The scene that you were talking about, Jastin, where um, I think his name's Cliff, Sterling K. Brown's character, Cliff and uh, Monk were talking um, after the wedding and, you know, and the scene about talking about their dad. But the part that like for me that hit home and like why this story relates to me is, you know, even the further step where he's like, you know, if people want to love you, you got to let them love all of you. And that was the part that I was like, yeah, like that. Yeah. That's deep. Like that's very profound. And like, it's just, yeah, I feel like there's just a lot of people that can relate to just being like, oh, I have to, you know, kind of walk on eggshells or I have to like present myself in a certain way to certain people and all of that, which can be an exhausting thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I feel like that was a really like beautiful moment, too. And to hear it from somebody who has been on the other side of that, you know, with his own brother telling him that was a really, really cool moment. And, and just that I loved Lorraine, by the way, I think Lorraine was amazing. And I loved like, yeah, that entire moment of her talking to Cliff before her wedding and just being like, no, like your family and yeah, the immediate change that you see on his face um, when she says that, and he's just like excited to be there at that point. He's his whole attitude completely changed. And I, I loved that too. Cause yeah, he finally felt like he had a family, you know, that his family was accepting him. And yeah, I just, I, I just love in general that everyone in this family had something that, you know, was dysfunctional. <laughs> it was a dysfunctional family, but you just see how they all still care about each other and they all still love each other, even if they don't see each other a lot. And like, and you know, and, and a, a line too that I loved in the movie was um, Coraline telling him uh, something to the effect of like, you know, not being able to relate to people is not a badge of honor. I loved that because you see him here too, where he's like, essentially, you know, you, you get the story about how he was, you know, the dad's favorite. And so he wasn't close with his siblings and just kind of this whole, he has self-isolated kind of in a way, or he has kind of been, what did, what did, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross say? I think like you've just be, you became independent or, you know, an individual or something like that, you know, because of it. And 
Um, you know, so it's kind of like almost like it was a defense mechanism for him to sort of be like that. But, um, you know, in a way it made him feel like that's what made him so intelligent and that's what made him a good writer. And that's what made him have all these great perspectives and her to just sound like, no, that's not, it's not really something to be proud of that you can't relate to anybody, you know, and you just slow, slowly see throughout this movie his just the little things that are starting to like be seeds planted in his mind of how he needs to like look at things in a very different way than he's been looking at them. And I also, um, I almost forgot to mention, I really liked Adam Brody for the little part he did in this movie too. (laughs) I always just enjoy Adam Brody. I think he's just kind of funny, but, um, but like just to talk a little bit about like that ending too, um, like, what I think is interesting about it is the fact that, you know, we see a couple of different ways that the ending of the movie can play out because we don't find out what he actually said, you know, when he accepts his award and what happens that night. I mean, yeah, to a degree. I mean, it does heavily imply that he did confess. Right. At least. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we don't know what the fallout. I mean, technically. You're absolutely you know, correct on that. Yes. Yeah, like technically, you know, it seems like Coraline did show up after they had their falling out. Like it, it seems like they, you know, she did show up. And if she did show up right when he was going to talk about it, that might be even more reason why they're not together at the end or why she's not talking to him. You know, so there's a lot implied there. But I also like that they left it open. And then what I love is the the backdrop of him explaining like what he wants the ending to be for this movie that's being created for this and how it kind of just speaks to the entire thing of the movie of like, I guess like what they're trying to say is (laughs) it doesn't really matter what the ending is because people are going to make the ending what they want it to be anyway. Like it doesn't matter what actually happened because people are going to write it how they want to write it and put it in the light that they want to put it in for this movie, for this book, for whatever it is. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to do with the movie to just be like, you know, it, they don't, they don't care what my ending is. And therefore he doesn't tell us what the ending is, you know? And I just kind of liked that little thing that they did with that. Um, and, and it goes even further than that, that the, the mindset that anything in in Hollywood is real is right. also bullshit. Like anytime yeah. anybody's like, Oh, this movie's so real or this, that like it's also never is. Like, right. you know, especially cause like the, the Adam Brody character is like, no, no, we can't end it like that. We need to end it real. So Jeffrey rush or, you know, Jeffrey Wright gives him just the most bullshit ending. That is also the ending that he was harping against the whole time. Yeah. A black guy just getting shot by cops. And yeah. then he's like, yeah, yep, a real ending. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Like once again, it's just a, a, an incredibly smart thing that like, yeah, what the fuck are you ever going to get out of Hollywood that's real? Even the realest mm-hmm. of stories also have cinematic licenses that they take with yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You know, even the most authentic and real, you know, biopics out there also have just a ton of bullshit in them. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. it also kind of just plays into that whole theme because in that movie the character is killed for not being his true self, you know, mm. it, you know, it's, it's also that too, you know, 
he dies and kind of to the Sterling K. Brown father conversation, he dies in the movie before he can reveal his true self. So all of Mm -hmm. it still lines up with all of those themes and everything, even in that, even in that sort of made up ending, it still ties to everything this movie was trying to tell you, you know? Yep. Yeah. And that's why I keep saying that this is like such a tight movie, like the, the flow of it, the pace of it, how everything plays out is just so perfectly done. Like even to the point where, again, like my biggest complaint was also the fact that, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross should have been in the entire movie because I love her. But like, even, even with that being said, like most of the time it's, it's mostly a joke because the thing with it is most of the time I'd be like, wow, what a waste of Tracy Ellis Ross. But it's like, actually, it wasn't a waste, though, because those four minutes were glorious and amazing and they were used so effectively. And that's how if you're going to disappoint with not a lot of something you want, that's the way to do it. Because, you know, the rest of the movie, like you said, Sterling was so good that you you really don't actually care about that, like (laughs) by the, you know, second half of this movie. And yeah, it's it's I honestly thought we were still going to get some flashbacks or something with her in it just because it did. It just made it sound like she was one of the main characters in this movie. But um, but, you know, and we didn't. But again, like that's how I'm just like, no, this is good writing. If I'm not like, oh, you wasted somebody amazing. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, unfortunately, I can't say that because it was very effective for the time that we had her. But yeah, and I don't know. I just feel like again, too, with the the fact that, you know, they give you a couple of different ways that things could have ended, which obviously we know aren't really what happened for the most part. You, you're like, so like, I, I'd like to know what happened because I'm just very invested in the story at this point. But you totally accept that you're not getting the full story by the end, you know. Um, the only other, like, complaint I have is also just like I really wish he would have ended up with Coraline because I thought they were super cute I loved them together and I think Coraline was a really great character but you get why you know maybe that's just not what happened and you can understand why you could see both sides of it if she did or didn't want to talk to him again after that but yeah I mean it I think that the way that Jeffrey Wright does this movie the way he plays his part is like there's so many subtleties in it and like that's what makes it so great is like you know you and and this is a movie too that shows you you don't have to have like those powerhouse like monologue speeches in movies for it to just be a great movie with great dialogue you know it's like we're kind of getting it interspersed throughout the entire movie those little nuggets of wisdom and those really great one-liners because I feel like there's more of that in this movie than a lot of movies that try to be like, let me show you a really great monologue. That's going to be my Oscar moment. You know, like you don't need that. And this movie kind of proves that because it's just the, the realness of these characters. Um, well, I like and, the way you worded that Heather, there's not an Oscar moment in this movie. The yeah. entirety of the performance is the Oscar moment. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I think this is an excellent choice to win like a best movie because it's the entire movie. <laughs> That's a moment, you know, like it's, it's all of that. Um, 
yeah, it's, I don't know. I just, I feel like when you can write something like that, where, you know how a lot of times we feel like there's the movies where it's like, you were building an entire movie, I think, just around that one piece of dialogue because you were really into that. <laughs> like You were really wanting that to be that moment in the movie. And you didn't need that here. And I loved that. And that's also more true to real life. You know what I mean? Like, there's not every day you're just like, let me just give you a really greatly worded piece of dialogue that's going to hit you. Like, no, that's not how it really works all the time. You know, it's it's the one liners of like, hey, let somebody love all of you. That's it. But how deep is that? Like, <laughs> you know, or, you know, hey, like, you know, potential means that you don't accept what's in front of you. One liner that means more than most other dialogue in movies these days. Like it's it's so beautiful. And I love that about it. Um, I mean, this movie the- had lines of dialogue that were more consequential than the entirety of the movie Argyle. <laughs> yes. Very true story. <laughs> like, and weirdly enough, both yep. made by Apple. <laughs> Apple's all yeah, over the fucking place. <laughs> what happened? Just all over the fucking place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and another thing too that I really enjoyed is when when we do see Monk's like writing process while he's drinking and he's like playing out the story of the book that he's writing and the characters. I loved that because I also just think it was such a creative way to show like the mind of a writer when he's like thinking of the scenarios. Like I I loved how creative it was when they did that. And it's 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 really funny because we talked about that in Argyle. Like yes. if she was having conversations with Argyle to figure yes. it out, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, once again, weirdly, the irony of it all. This yeah. movie did what we said Argyle should have did to make it work. Yeah. yeah. This is how you effectively yeah. do that thing that you were trying to do. <laughs> like, Cause it, it wasn't cheesy. It wasn't weird. It wasn't like, I don't understand what's going on here or what it means by her seeing this person. Like none of that. You don't question any of what's happening. You completely understand what's going on. And you know, I also just think it's funny that he was like, I wrote it as a joke and he spent all this time like writing these characters and doing this entire book to send off just to be like, haha. Like, <laughs> I just think that's funny that he just did all of that work just to kind of like, you know, make a joke or something, but, um, kind of speaks to his writing, you know, or like how good of a writer he must actually be. But yeah, I oh, just, he did that Stephen King shit. <laughs> Stephen King's yeah. notorious for night. being able to just knock out books. Like, yeah. I believe that him and James Patterson, they just can write a fucking book a day if they wanted to type of shit. <laughs> and it's like, almost like he, he could do that if he's, you know, writing something that to him is substandard. He can just knock it out real quick. Just knock out a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I feel like there were these really interesting moments too, whenever Monk is talking to um, Issa Rae's character um, and like her being the only person who, for one, I think understands the book better than others coming from her perspective. She's coming from, but also being the only person who didn't like it in that group of people. And you feel like you see it, this like kind of duality with that too, where he's like, thank you. You understand that this is garbage, but at the same time, like 
it's almost like he really respects her opinion and he's a little bit kind of like, I don't know, off put or like upset that she did it in a way, but or like upset that she didn't, she didn't like it for the reasons he wanted her not to like it, you know? So well, it's also like whenever they, he was saying like, or who all the authors were going to be and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's the opinion I'm going to care about the least. Hmm. Yeah. And then when it came yeah. down to it, it was the only opinion he cared about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Irony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm telling you, this movie was a master at it. It's just, there's just layers here, guys. It's well, a lot of good stuff. And one of the scenes that we've we haven't talked about that also ties into all this stuff is the conversation he's having with his mom when he's like, Did you know dad was cheating on you? And she's like, yeah, he was a genius, all this other stuff. But then she calls him Cliffy. And I think that that's one of those moments, too, where it's like he realizes that maybe his brother and him are more alike than he thought. You know, and adds to their dynamic and adds to their relationship. Yeah. Later Mm -hmm. on and stuff like that. You know, that, you know, Mm -hmm. just his perceptions of everything were off, you know. Yeah. Because I, I, I love that he's like this author and this like he knows people and all these other things and he can write. He can write characters and he can create things and all this other stuff. But then he's completely oblivious to aspects of his life like his dad was cheating on his mom the whole time. And he's the only one that didn't fucking know. The only one yeah. that didn't know. Yeah. You right. know. Yeah. I mean, and another also great scene that I really liked was. When um, when Monk was reading the speech from Lisa after she died about like, hopefully you found me under Idris Elba <laughs> or Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> I loved that because for one, that's probably, I feel like that's just like Tracy Ellis Ross probably was just like, can I say this? Like, I feel like that's her humor to do like, something like that. They just asked her to write it. Yes. So she yeah, wrote exactly. that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it was just such a funny like moment and like just based off of the little bit we did get of her character, it a hundred percent you're like, yeah, that sounds like something she would have done or said in her own speech after her death. Like I, I just really like that moment and seeing that, you know, Cliff just kind of like laughing about it, being like, Oh, Lisa, kind of in his mind after, you know, thinking about obviously how sad he is and I don't know. I, I just, I really liked those moments because it's also very, you know, down to earth, relatable, like human beings and stuff like that. Like, I just, I love that where it's not this grand thing. It's just like a silly, like you could tell she wanted them to just be laughing and remembering her humor after she died. And that's why she said something like that. And I just really thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah, and that was one of those moments, too, that I felt weirdly connected to that movie. I was like, did they read what I wrote for my <laughs> eulogy? Hopefully, you'll find me under Idris Elba under or Idris Russell Crowe. Or Russell Crowe, yeah. <laughs> but also, and I, I loved the, the the surrounding parts of that scene, too, when they're pouring the ashes out and that guy walks up and he's like, do you have a permit? And they're like, fuck you, Dave. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're pouring ashes out on a beach. It's mixing in with sand and water what are you really doing and he's like are those human yeah. marine you you need they're just like fuck you dude like <laughs> yeah. i really kind of dug People that get weird about that they're like it, you're being preposterous 
Like I'm not pouring this like on your face. Like this is just being Mm -hmm. mixed in with all the other garbage that's on a beach in water. Like get the fuck out of here with that. I do also think it's interesting too, that he, that monk ended up being the only person in the family that wasn't a doctor of some kind. Um, He was just a medical doctor. Yeah, true. Or he, I he, guess had, he had a PhD in yeah. literature or English or whatever, because that was the running joke, too, when they're yeah. like, we're all doctors. And he's like, well, because he says to his sister, we're all doctors. And she goes, well, you're not like us. And then yeah. the brother later says, we're all doctors. And then he goes, yeah, I'm not like you. Yeah. Like, and that's which is another full circle joke. Like I like that yeah. both of them made that like the same joke with him, but they like, mm-hmm. you know, he used the answer that the other sibling gave. Like it was just that, that funny irony of yeah. he has that dynamic with all his siblings. They just, they're twisting it a little different. Yeah. And I guess like, I feel like there maybe, it, I feel like there was another moment too. And he was like, Oh no, like my family, you know, they all became doctors in that field and I kind of missed the boat. Like I thought he said something to that effect to maybe Coraline. Yes. But he's talking to Coraline. Yeah. Yeah. She's a lawyer. And yes. Yeah. They were talking, yeah. he was like, Oh yeah. My family's all doctors. I'm not mm-hmm. like, but once again, yeah. I'm not. Right. Which is like a, another circle moment to that joke. Yeah. That he had both both his siblings. Yeah. And I I just think that's interesting. Like they became medical doctors like that. That was the field that his family chose. Did they say that if the dad was a doctor at any point? Yes. He was a gynecologist also. He was an OBGYN. Okay. I missed that part. But yeah. Okay. uh, uh, Lisa says it. Whenever whenever, uh, she's telling uh, Monk that their dad cheated. And Mm -hmm. she's like, what do you think? He was a male OBGYN. Right. Who, that's right. She didn't say that. Yeah. Was always making house calls. And he was like, no, he was going to conferences in Boston. And she's like, that's right. He was an OBGYN. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is, and it's funny because, I mean, as much as they said that Monk was the most, li- or his dad's favorite, I guess, is what they said. Um, he was the one that chose a different path in that regard as far as what type of doctor he became. So I think that's interesting. I don't know. But yeah, I I just, I just, I loved everything they did because like, again, there's so many relatable like moments of either the dynamics and relationships or just lessons to be learned from this, you know? And, um, and I, I just, again, I wholeheartedly agree that this is a movie for everybody. Like there's something in this for every single person. So I really hope people give this movie a chance and that they will watch it. Um, again, like I don't even remember all the nominated movies for best movie, but I, I would be happy if this won. I don't think it will, unfortunately, but I would love it if it did because these are the types of movies I think people should be putting in high reverence above some other movies that are so. Yeah, it's up there with past lives for me. I want either one of these Same. two to win it. Yep. You know, and I I liked Anatomy of the Fall, not as much as Justin. Killers of the Flower Moon is up there too. I'll give it that. Surprising I like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I'm still I'm rooting for those two. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good lineup. So far, the ones we've seen. I mean, 
Yeah. Pretty good lineup. The ones so we far. can see, like what Zone of Interest and Poor Things. You can see it in like five theaters everywhere. <laughs> right. We'll see if they're good if we ever get to fucking watch them. I mean, yeah. and like, I really, I don't even remember everybody nominated for supporting actor either, but I really hope Sterling K. Brown gets it just because like, not, not just because I think he's great anyway, but he, he just really brought something special to this movie. Um, you know, but yeah, I just, everybody did such a great job and everybody was so believable as like just real people. I agree. Yeah. You guys got any more thoughts about this here movie? Nope. Nope. I do want to issue a small correction. Uh, the Patriots went back to back in 2004, 2005. Mm, okay. Mm. Just to be factually clear. You'd have to listen to this whole podcast to know I corrected myself, but still. I found out too late. That's how you, that's how you loop them in. Stay till the end so you can find out. (laughs) Yeah. Find out if I correct myself. You have to listen to the whole episode. But on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. A Cinema Slayers podcast on Facebook. Cinema underscore Slayers on Threads, Instagram, and Letterbox uh, at Cinema Slayers Pod on TikTok and YouTube. A uh, shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Cho for our theme song and logos, respectively. Um, give us a five star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love Sterlings, just the Sterlings in general. I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because that all in a full circle moment all started because dear sweet mothers love the dulcet tones of my voice. So it's true. Accurate. Full circle. Nice. Heather, Heather Heather's pulling an American fiction. Yep. I'm learning a lot from this movie. <laughs> we here at the Cinema Slayers podcast are pro slut, pro Sydney and pro naked. Remember Cinefans. Yes, you Cinefans. You are Knuff. And justice for Chris. Still ain't got no justice. Iron Claw came out for digital download now. You can buy that movie. Still no justice for Chris. I was hoping we were going to get that Iron Claw Justice for Chris edition. Where they added Chris into the movie. Nope. No such no such edit can be found yet. And as I always end these. Oh, also, real quick. Henry Kissinger is still dead. Daily check-in or weekly check-in. Okay. Okay. But the end of days is nigh. He will come back. He is a a lich king. (laughs) And as I always end this podcast, these TikToks and these YouTube videos, remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. All right. Are you ready?
Cinema Slayers. Wow, we had nothing during the outro. I had I had nothing. I was nothing? really sitting here thinking. <laughs> I had nothing. You're thinking over those <laughs> those wisdom drops from the movie. That's why. Yeah. Well, it's a super good movie to think about that. And I just thought about this too. And I we should I should have said this during the main episode. This movie really does show the difference of how important it is to have just a cohesive narrative story you're telling. Because it really does make things night and day. Like, you know, of just what impact that can have on a movie. When you're just, when you, when you wrote out a story... Like, and just wrote out the story instead of just adding stuff to your story constantly and changing your story. And this, like, write out the story. Like, if you have that fundamental base of a narrative story you are telling, like you said, Justin, things just kind of fall into place. And that's that's the difference between great movies and just bullshit. Yep. And it's just becoming so glaring when it's not there. It's just, you, you can almost just see how a movie falls apart when it doesn't have that, that focus and that narrative about it. It's just, it's becoming abundantly clear what's lacking from a lot of these movies. Because you see it too often. It yeah. just feels like they're they're writing something else. They're not writing to be cohesive. It it, it feels like, like you said, it doesn't feel like a full story was there. It feels like we're making it up as we go along or we're adapting to what people are saying, but we're, we're losing that focus by the time we get to the end. Yeah, it's the difference between just having an idea for a movie and writing a movie. Like... Mm-hmm. Argyle's a movie of ideas. It's just a bunch of ideas. Yep. This is a fucking story. Yeah. And it's now kind of the bar because it's like, we've seen what it looks like when you actually do a narrative correctly. So not settling for less. You know, I, I know they always say that Hollywood didn't have a lot of original ideas, but man, some of the better movies we've seen lately are based on books. So maybe just keep doing that a little bit more. That's true. Like this movie, yeah. Killers of a Flower Moon. Like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes. Color Purple, you know, right? Or no? Yeah, that's a book. There's a, yeah, there's a book first. You know, or even a play. Past Lives was based on a play. Like, just kind of, you know, do that base your shit on shit that's already known to be good. Novel concept, I know. All right, I'm out.